Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Um, one of my early mentors, who's the guy who hired me into DGS, told this story of Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of sitting there negotiating with some of his advisors about solar power. And he just put his hand down and is like, no, we are stop arguing. We are doing a million solar roofs now. <laughs> This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey, Solar Warriors, welcome to episode 49. Woohoo! We are almost at 50 episodes for the podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here with me. And I'm your host, if you didn't get that from the beginning, Nico Johnson. So glad that you're back with me again for another week of Suncast. Well, this week's episode is one I really enjoyed recording for two reasons. One, it's mostly unscripted free flow because of number two, it's after dinner with one of my favorite humans, Scott Muller, and we aptly dubbed it the first wine cast over an absolutely phenomenal bottle of vino. It's officially wine cast number two. See episode 46 for wine cast number one. But let's not get into semantics. Okay, today, I'll try to keep this short and focused on two important things that you need to know that tie back to today's chat with Scott. Thing one, Scott is one of my solar brothers, part of my scene, part of my tribe. What does that mean? Why do you care? Well, that's the topic of next week's episode, which is number 50 and which celebrates two awesome, momentous milestones in my life. One, my 38th birthday, woohoo, and the second anniversary of the launch of Suncast. And yes, if you're wondering, I have for more than eight weeks now intentionally timed these podcast releases so that number 50 would fall exactly on my birthday. I'm weird like that. So next week's episode, we'll take a bit of an introspective look at how we build community. What has Suncast been in its first 50 episodes and how you all have in fact become my tribe and what you can expect from the next 50 episodes of Suncast. Exciting stuff, so please don't miss out on next week's momentous episode. Along with that, many of you commented on the juxtaposition of the episode 25 of my friend Jason Zook, who owns and runs a group called Buy Our Future with his wife Caroline. Maybe you listened to that episode and you didn't have the money or clarity or just weren't in the place to really move forward at the time on literally buying Jason and Caroline's future. But what I can tell you is there won't be a next time. At least, that's what they tell me. And that'd be a shame. This has become one of the tribes of humans that I get the most value from in my personal and professional life. And I'll talk more about that a bit next week. And hey, if you're listening to this, I consider you part of my tribe. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thing number two. Scott Muller is one of my favorite and solar OGs. He has sold solar around the globe, including... More than a year as a digital nomad traveling through Europe and other places while building his current company, Solar Lead Factory. 
We get into lots of stuff today that is interesting about his life and his work, but the most notable and what I want to focus on is that on the heels of this recording, we decided to do a webinar, which we just announced yesterday. So that's thing two. Let me tell you about the webinar before we get into today's show with Scott. The webinar is going to be hosted with Solar Edge. So it's hosted by Solar Edge, Solar Lead Factory, and Suncast. All that alliteration. I know. I love it. You can go to mysuncast.com forward slash webinar to learn more. It'll be hosted on October 13th. That is two weeks from today at 10 a.m. Pacific. It's going to be a three-part series of webinar. The first part, obviously, is October, then the second in November, and the third in December. Part one is all about leads, as you might have guessed, from Solar Lead Factory. And the theme is growth starts here. We will explore various types of leads, how to get them, how to architect your approach for success, with a special focus on how to leverage paid marketing as fuel to dramatically increase your sales. As I mentioned before, this week's episode is brought to you by By Our Future. You can go to bit.ly slash by future. So B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash B-U-Y-F-U-T-U-R-E bit.ly forward slash buy future to learn more about how you can buy Jason's future and what that means for you and why I consider it one of the best investments in my life. And if this episode is brought to you by us, Suncast, Solar Lead Factory, and Solar Edge. This webinar is going to happen in two weeks time. I hope that you're on it. You can go to mysuncast.com forward slash webinar to learn more. And definitely stay tuned next week for solo episode Number 50, celebrating two years and a look back on Suncast, what we've done and what we will become, and a riff on building your tribe. All right. Thanks again, Solar Warriors. Your time is valuable and you've chosen to invest it here. So enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with my man, Scott Muller of Solar Lead Factory. Well, this is the first uh, wine cast. Wine cast. <laughs> wine cast. We are chilling up in uh, the Berkeley Hills. Anytime I get a chance to visit with a dear friend, I take the offer, especially when said dear friend is fortunate enough to house it up in the hills of any fair town. And then most importantly, if that fair town is the lovely Berkeley, California. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing very well, man. Yeah, we're actually in Oakland. I like to correct people often because Oakland's it's crazy. It's it's one of those little things. Uh, but we're actually in Oakland, California, which is even better. Even better. <laughs> Oak Town. I love Oakland. Uh, yeah. So had a chance to come back into town for Inner Solar as I do every year. Good show this year. Yeah, it was a good show. You know what's really weird was that this year they condensed the entire show down to one and a half floors. And it felt, and you were there, it felt energetic. Yeah. It actually, yeah, yeah. It actually right. felt alive. For the first time in years, Inner Solar felt That's kind of true. alive. And, you know, there were a lot of vendors missing. The number one question in everyone's mind is what's going to happen with this whole Suniva trade case. Yeah. Um, which is starting again, to... Res- deja yeah. vu all over again. <laughs> which is starting to receive a funny amount of acronyms. Right? Yeah, the, right. The minimum, the the MIT, the minimum import tariff, the the obviously the Suniva trade case. It's done under 
uh, a piece of uh, of law known as 201. Right. So something, something 201. So a lot of folks just refer to it as 201, like right. 1603. <laughs> right, right. Uh, for those of you who understand what 1603 means, that might resonate. So Scott and I go way back. Uh, we have known each other. Scott's possibly my oldest. He's one of my oldest friends in the solar industry. It's and an honor. Yeah. An honor. We met. I'll never forget going on this pirate ship. I, that was crazy. <laughs> We, right. we met on this we went on this pirate ship at the ACES conference right. and as I recall uh, we were probably two of the younger guys I was 26 28 I was 28 you were like 26 26 maybe or something yeah, yeah 25 and I had just come off of uh, a, a three year stint trying to grow a, my first startup solar company and uh, you were impressive because if nothing else your sheer number of sky miles and <laughs> and stamps in your passport, right? And the languages at that time I was living in Germany. Yeah, you were living in Germany. Yeah, yeah. So we sort of jumped in uh, that part that didn't get recorded. Talked a little bit about your 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 upbringing uh, and how you got into solar. But why don't we just jump to Europe and maybe yeah. you can you can throw in some a smattering of your uh, of why you ended up in Europe. But sure. Well, actually, ironically, the first time I ended up in Europe, I ended up in Germany, actually, after working uh, briefly in Berkeley uh, for Sunlight and Power, which is a great company. Gary Gerber. Gary Gerber hey. and co. And I mean, there's lots of great, great people there and great alumni yeah. from there and great people still working there. So I started working at Sunlight and Power in Berkeley. It was early days of solar. And actually, what there's a couple things before this that got me into solar. One was... I was traveling in Peru right after graduation in like mm. 2005, and I met this young kid. He must have been like, I don't know, seven or eight, yeah. something like that, living on Uros Islands, which is Lake Titicaca. And this kid had, you know, these are islands made out of reeds floating in a lake at 15,000 feet in the Andes. Wow. They have so He had a solar panel on the roof and a battery in the hut, powering light bulb this is 2005 Whoa. and he what really blew my mind was i mean this is a place it's literally floating in the middle of the lake so there's no like easy right. way to get get a, electricity to it and in a place that's incredibly impoverished and rural and all these kinds of factors and he had the light and not only did they have the light at night which was you know a pretty big luxury at that point allowed them to work a lot of their you know economic viability is from tourism and wow. handicrafts and stuff like that he could also explain to me exactly kind of you know where the solar panel was how it, and how it came worked. in i mean you know, not obviously like at a at a right. at a level of physics or engineering but he, but he understood all the parts and how it worked and how what you had to do in order to make the light go on and to charge the battery and things like this yeah so that was completely mind-blowing um, and I was like, wow, this technology, this is 2004, 2005. I mean, obviously it had started working on a much grander scale than that, but I really yeah. started to glimpse kind of just like how powerful this technology really could be right. in terms of providing energy access, energy access and economic you know, opportunity and like learning. Okay. This kid was able to do his homework at night, kind of stuff like that. Right. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I was a, a student at UC Davis, um, up here uh, near Sacramento, near the state capitol. 
And from that, I got into working uh, for the Department of General Services, which is the kind of building arm of the state of California. And at that point, Arnold Schwarzenegger had put in a law called the, I think it was called the Million Solar Roofs Initiative. That's right, wow. And um, one of my early mentors, uh, Panama Bartholomew, who's the guy who hired me into DGS, told this story of, Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of sitting there negotiating with some of his advisors about solar power and he just put his hand down and is like, no, we are stop arguing. We are doing a million solar roofs now. <laughs> and so, That's you so know, great. he's like, when I'm flying around the state in the helicopter, I don't see any solar. We need solar now. So that's how I got started in solar. That's kind of what drew me into the industry ultimately. And I had seen, you know, both here in Berkeley, which is one of the f kind of strongholds of the early industry. Um, I worked for Sunlight and Power, founded in 1976. Mm. Real pioneers, Gary Gerber, yep. longtime Calcia board member. I don't know if he, or president, I think, for a long time. I don't, I don't think he's still involved, but yeah. amazing guy, an amazing company, really just pushing the industry forward in kind you of the early years. building hot, hot solar, hot water. Out yeah, of I, I mean, I think in the early days, before it was easy to just go purchase this buy, stuff. yeah. They were no inventing it. Yeah, there's no tubes. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so they're they were just building, hot water, building hot water tanks, like with I guess I don't know pipes and black back sheets and wow. redwood containers, yeah. you know, piping and the old school solar, yeah. old school solar, the solar original pioneers. pioneers. Mm -hmm. um, I got Gary on the show. <laughs> yeah, Gary's Gary would be great. He's seen a lot, obviously. I think yeah. forty plus years now in the industry, which yeah. is. About as old as you can get here. So, and so you you worked for Sunlight and Power. I worked for Sunlight and Power. Yeah, my first job was actually, um, I had kind of gone from this like policy track with the state government, and then DGA. possibly working for UC Office of the President, which at the time the university system was really pushing the envelope on all things sustainable. I think they still are, you know, right. to a large degree. Um, in fact, um, one of the founders of Mosaic. Uh, joined Mosaic was also California Student Sustainability Coalition. Who's that? Um, was it Arthur Coolston? Oh, Arthur. He okay. was one of the early yeah. founders, um, and also I think one of the co-founders of Lyft, who I didn't know personally, was yeah. also involved in this California Student Sustainability Coalition. So kind of a cool group of advocates and activists, like students, being involved in this industry. Anyways, had gone from kind of that trajectory to really wanting to figure out about solar, got this opportunity. Some folks had come out, James Hatfield, hat tip to you if you're listening, Yeah. Uh, actually came to my parents' house to prepare a solar proposal. And I started talking to him, and that led into my first job actually in the solar industry. So I still actually have the impact wrench, uh, impact Incredible. driver that Incredible. I used uh, to, to install solar like all over Berkeley and wow. some big projects as well as a lot of residential stuff and yeah so early in your career you really got you know you, you got in roll up your sleeves literally got in right. and installed solar power but you didn't stick around installing right. solar in the u.s yeah i mean at that time when i was in college i'd been fortunate enough to go to a summer program where we had uh, been based in freiburg germany which is in the south of germany mm -hmm. really well known for kind of um as actually one of the founding, I think, place of Solar World, definitely uh -huh. where they had like their early labs. Yeah. And so, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch, yeah. 
Ich kein, bin kein Deutsch. Ich bin ein Berliner. <lacht> <lacht> yeah. I always wanted to speak the German, but sorry. It's a hard language. It's a hard language. I um, it's a little bit rusty right now. But, yeah, um, but your Spanish language. is on point. Hombre, ya no sé. It's okay. It's been years now. You know, yeah. I think it, it's been. Anyways, I moved to Germany in 2007, yeah. and that was really when you know I think. When I was there, I believe Germany had the first gigawatt mm-hmm. year, first one gigawatt of installations in a year, right. which was a yeah. huge deal at that point. And you know, by the time I had left, I think Spain had the the six gigawatt or seven, eight, whatever yeah, it was, like two thousand nine, two thousand nine, two thousand eight, two thousand eight. I think it was actually was a big year. I think it was six gigawatts. I don't know, but anyways, watching that kind of crescendo happened in Europe and being involved there, I had gone over actually on a fellowship to study kind of the political and economic origins of the policy in Germany, hmm. which I think is really cool because there they've continued to maintain this really um, so you're studying, decentralized ownership base of solar, which is really cool. You were studying the, sort of the nexus of renewable policy specifically. The nexus of renewable policy specifically and specifically solar. Wow. Um, and, and this spawned from your observation of what was happening in California and your desire to understand how it applied at a macro scale? Am I reading into that? Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, my background's in economics, so I was curious, like, how you fit these pieces together at right. an economic scale. Yeah. So they're flying you all over, if I recall, they're flying you all over Europe. Right. All over the world in some cases. Right, and so then while I was there, I, I started working with a consultancy uh, right. based in Berlin and Madrid. They had offices in Berlin and Madrid. Right, right. Um, and so they did a lot of policy work, but also consulting for European companies that wanted to, you know, either expand other markets within Europe or to the U.S., which right. is kind of where my focus was. And so right. I, yeah, I was I was coming back and forth a lot, and that's why I went to the ACES thing. I yeah. think was one of the early uh, trips that I did uh, while I was there, and then from yeah. there I started. Yeah, I had the good fortune. I had the good fortune. I remember. We met there, an aforementioned pirate ship. We sat, I, I'll never forget this, we sat, you, you'll remember this. Uh-uh. I reminded Ollie of this, and he didn't really remember. We met Ollie from O2 Energies. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. And Richard Harkrader uh-huh. from North Carolina Solar. So what's ironic now is I live in Durham, so right. Richard lives like 20 minutes from me. Wow. And I remember, I was in my 20s, I was running the solar company that I had started in California, the you know veritable hotbed of solar in the United States. Right. And here are these guys who were coming all the way from North Carolina for, you know, kind of an also-ran show at this point. ASUS was kind of, was didn't have the cachet. It was one of the last real ASUS shows that had some cachet at all. Right. And that vendors showed up uh, in mass. Like, there was a huge Gonerty booth. Right, it was... This, as I recall, and this is, we're just sort of tripping back in time here, but... This was when clean power finance didn't exist as a product. They launched their sizing tool, their system sizing tool, and their at quote that tool show? at that show wow. from the Connergy booth. Wow. Joseph Bracohiapo was the president wow. at the time. And uh, the whole reason that I decided to come to the show was because I was trying to interview at Clean Power Finance. Wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, and so I came to the show and met you, met a lot of other folks, and and then actually Todd Michaels, who is a, is a good friend uh, of ours and who was one of the founders or one of the early guys, at least in Solar Power Partners. He and I had uh, a nice dinner there, and he introduced me to a recruiter who ended up changing the trajectory of my career because I was running a 
solar company that I'd helped found at the time. And then ended up going into you know DRI Energy, which led me to Lumetta, to Trina, Conergy, and where I'm at today. So I mean to, to shoehorn in on your story. Uh, I just we're 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 running down memory lane here, and I memory thought, lane, yeah, yeah. Totally. I think it's it's always interesting to understand where someone's origin story because mm. someone might look, you know, someone might look today. The solar industry is huge; it's booming. We we are making phone calls into offices of companies that didn't exist when we started in our solar journey. Right. And they don't know my backstory. They don't know your backstory. They don't know right. that you've climbed up on roofs and installed hundreds of kilowatts of, of uh, product and that I've installed and sold hundreds and hundreds of megawatts of, of solar. Mm -hmm. So I think, it's I think it's valid, right? Everyone forgets that everybody in this industry has an origin story, has a reason that they're doing this. Mm -hmm. Lots of us actually have a long backstory, incredible, uh, incredible track record. Uh, but if you met somebody at Intersolar last week right. that that had never heard of Solar Lead Factory, mm. you didn't likely get a chance to explain the reason, the mm. fundamentals behind why you understand lead right. generation, why you understand the residential market, why you understand right. it not just at a U.S. macro level but at a global scale how it was deployed in Germany, right. how it grew in Spain, right. how these regulatory policies play a part in growing an industry. And uh, I think that's fascinating. And so it's, for me at least, and part of the thing I love to do with Suncast is to try to give someone uh, a chance to have a glimpse into the backstory, the origin of, like, mm. you know, how did Scott, who's the founder of a company that's actually doing shit in our industry, I have to mark this one as explicit. <laughs> How did he get to that point where he's, you know, biking three miles to the co-working space and running a, a right. successful, thri you know, thriving business and contributing to society? So you are, you know, to that end, you have had a lot of other experiences that perhaps we'll get a chance to talk about, not the least of which is working for a scrappy underfunded distributor that has turned in that has now turned into a very well oiled machine yeah. in civic solar. Amazing. Right? But you have lived in the digital nomad class, right? Like That's so many fun too. things we could talk about. Right. Um, for the sake of, of brevity and to leave those tantalizing conversation droppings for someone who might look you up and wanna and wanna just uh, you know invite you to a scotch somewhere. Uh, <laughs> help me understand where you were when you started thinking about the problem facing solar today and how you might be able to solve it in your unique way. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, one of the biggest things uh, that I've always been interested in is how beyond solar, I've been interested in also just, you know, sustainable, sustainable efforts. So whether yeah. that's drying your clothes on the rack or, biking to work, which is what I do, or, you know, trying out some of these innovative new uh, transportation systems yeah. like we've been talking about here, kind of off the record. Yeah, so many. And um, the Bay Area yeah. is just a hotbed, not off the record. Gig is amazing. Right. It's this AAA-backed, one-way car-sharing thing that you can leave the car anywhere, park it in a metered spot and walk away from it, and that's that. It's amazing. It's without gonna be, paying it's gonna, for the meter. It's going to take over the world. 
Yeah, these kind of stuff's cool. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. I mean, it's a, the, it's a stepping stone towards you're in something Valley, else. Probably. Man. So you're, yeah, so you're able to watch sustainability um, burst <clears throat> forth from yeah. its unseemly like container. Unseemly container. And so part of that thing that's like so important for me is that access that everybody can be a part of it. And I think that this is like really the key to unlocking kind of when we start thinking about 100% renewable mm. uh, kind of society and electrification of all of our transportation and just like how do you get to a clean overall all-encompassing system mm. power the use of power the creation of power all that kind of stuff yeah how do you do it and so one of the things that i thought was that i still think is super important is that people are able to gain access and education on this mm -hmm. topic and learn about it shouldn't be just something you know in my opinion it shouldn't be something I, I love all the stuff you know kind of big big utility scale development right. somewhere else um you know in the desert or something like that that gets some press this is fantastic yeah. stuff and we should be hitting it like full steam ahead um but i think it's also really important as we begin to explore what this 100 percent renewable energy future looks like that looks like now more and more that is fairly inevitable or that we probably will awesome. have a chance of get, getting there you know, how do you get more people into that? And so I think that the residential market is actually a huge part of that because when you have mm. solar on your roof and you understand how it works, like this kid on Uros Island or the family that has solar panels on their roof, whatever, it goes from being something that's abstract and kind of uncomprehensible mm -hmm. to something that is concrete and real. Yeah. And so that's, some, that's kind of part of the motivation, you know, mm. behind it all is, is really just thinking about that. And I do think that the, I think one of the things that's interesting about being an entrepreneur and being a world traveler is that you get to kind of step back and see the world from a different perspective frequently. Yeah. And so one experience, I have two little experiences about my time in Germany and, and California and kind of the switch that's super interesting on that. One, first one, since this is a wine, wine episode, um, <laughs> like <that> is, <laughs> is, uh, is about beer. So yeah. Germany is like a big beer country, obviously, right? Really? They have, yeah, big, big, big beer country, Nico. And uh, big beer country, they have, you know, laws about how, what you can put in beer and stuff like that. So I went to Germany from California, rich in IPA history and kind of one of the hotbeds of the early micro brew scene right. as well in the U.S. And we were drinking, you know, Racer 5 and big hoppy IPAs and stuff like that. I went to Germany. They have a lot of pilsners and stuff like this. It's a much more refined mm -hmm. kind of, but less aggressive beer. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this beer is terrible. You know, like the beer in California was so flavorful and delicious and amazing and cutting edge. And then after living in Germany for over a year without coming back to California, I came back to California. But at that point I'd been drinking the Pilsner and whatever right. in Germany and came back to California and I couldn't, I couldn't stand the IPA you know, that I had previously loved. Oh, and so this was this kind of like rewiring mm -hmm. of, you know, your previous mental systems. And so when I went to Germany, Germany at the time was really leading the way through feed-in tariffs, which was a guaranteed payout for every kilowatt hour that you put onto the grid, right. which was fairly, I think, important in like moving the industry forward in Germany because it provided kind of the backstop that allowed for these projects to be bankable and allowed for there to be trust in trying very out the technology. Globally, it was very progressive, yeah. Very progressive. I remember looking back at California and thinking, oh my God, 
you guys are doing this net metering thing. Like there's no way that you can provide the same level of scale. Flash forward to today. Now we look at kind of really what California is able to do, not just because of net metering, but all the policies that California has put into place that fit with the ecosystem of policies and reality here that's allowed for the United States that's allowed this industry to thrive. And so, but one of the beautiful things about entrepreneurship is that you get to see the world through different lenses frequently. Yeah. Um, And so when I came back from Germany, I was working for a distributor, working on larger projects. Again, this is in 2009 Mm -hmm. um, timeframe. And at that time, the U.S. market was kind of really starting to gain some momentum. Uh-huh. Like it actually looked like at that point that the U.S. would become kind of the dominant market. Yeah. And so, but it hadn't yet become that. And so kind of trying to figure out this, this gap from a lot of really pent up interest. You know, even back at that time, we were seeing 90% surveys with 90% of the respondents right. saying, we're inter- we want more solar energy. Yeah. But... You know, very few people, I think, as I had mentioned earlier, Arnold Schwarzenegger had issued this Million Solar Roofs Declaration, but very few people, very few individuals, very few businesses, not many people were going solar. Like, it yeah. was still a pretty nascent industry. Yeah, and there weren't um, a lot of, there weren't, you know, the solar city financing model. The, had just started, basically. Yeah. I mean, 2006, I think, was yeah, but the beginning of that. They didn't, right? they didn't really have their financing, uh, I would say, ironed out until... Right call it 2009 2010 when they started to flourish like they really started to flourish yeah so you started to see signs that this is what was coming and yet it hadn't really grasped on wholly and so at that time i was kind of beginning to think hey how can we have a bigger impact um in terms of engaging again the, the regular homeowner how can we get them engaged because i think that's part of the kind of thread that makes the 100% renewable vision possible or a huge, you know, large percentage renewable vision possible is to have the average person understanding it and believing in it um, to go there. And so at that time, I was thinking, okay, how can we have a bigger impact? And at that time, I was working in an office space. Uh, That's when I met Clayton, who's who's my co-founder, who founded the company that I joined in with like two years uh, two years later, in 2011, yeah. he left one block off the grid uh-huh. where he had been working and, and heading up their marketing. Um, and we began kind of tinkering with this idea of how can we really kind of take what we've learned so far in the industry and really apply a lot of pressure into the area of getting curious homeowners to be interested homeowners yeah. to then end up adopting solar power. And Clayton is kind of the... He's the the computer science mad scientist he's the, guy. He's the, the mad scientist guy. He's the algorithm, the back end um, kind of overseeing mm-hmm. all of our marketing yeah. efforts, like the direct marketing efforts and strategy. Now, is he a marketing guy in particular, or is he a, a coder? I don't know. I've never met Clayton. Right. So, uh, His background is in marketing. He's mm-hmm. a biologist or a chemist. He's some science background initially, actually. But How interesting. Mm-hmm. But he's also writing the code for the... We have a developer that we work with, okay. but he's like architected yeah. most of the back end. It's like Clayton's idea. It's, yeah. I mean, it's like his brainchild that right. is sort of or, yeah, orchestrating, if you will, the way Correct. that the yeah. marketing works to to capture these, as you put it, curious homeowners. Right. To capture their attention. Capture their attention and, and kind of get them started down the path yeah. towards 
towards going solo. Interesting. Did how did you meet Clayton? So we were working in the same office. For I was at PV and, Exchange, yeah. which was a German kind of uh, distributor, let's say, and Wemblog, Wemblog, one block off the grid, which was uh, an NEM funded, um, so venture NEM? funded. NEM is a large venture capital okay. fund in yep. Silicon Valley that had funded the company. Um, and Wemblog later became... Uh, Pure Energies, which was yep. then NRG Home Solar, yeah. acquired them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Clayton had been instrumental in building that marketing engine. And at that time, they were kind of positioning to be the Groupon of solar, helping right. blocks, like helping installers. Yep. It's called One Block because it was the whole block. thing was the word of mouth between neighbors and getting neighbors to band together to buy solar right. as a as And a then to group. give the yep. installer... Uh, Kind of economies of scale on yep. a local level to be yep. able to build a bunch of projects at once. Yep. Some guaranteed contracts for at, at scale, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. We're actually successfully doing the one block, one block uh, model in Florida and, and several other. Oh, fantastic! States. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the solarize. It, yeah, I solarize mean, is, is one is of kind the of more become popular. that exactly. Yeah, um, model the idea. As well. it, you know, it seems it's like a mishmash of community solar and uh, and community advocacy. Right. Yeah, so in a, in a long in a big sense, you know, one bog, one block off the grid. We'll call it one bog from now on, without apologizing. Right. Uh, one bog was you know, kind of came around around the same time as the website Solar Power Rocks and a few others that really were trying uh, through online marketing and uh, other well, just sort of digital marketing strategies to create awareness, right. to educate consumers more than just what they would get by a solar city guy knocking on their front door right. presenting them with one singular voice of what them of what a solar experience might look like right yeah how interesting you were a PB exchange I remember I mean you've and, and since then you've had a, a lot of uh, interesting experiences but you stay in touch with Clayton Clayton right. struck a chord with you what was it that Clayton so we both we had uh, we had a couple of experiences where we were like hmm this guy this guy seems pretty cool so I mean, I think the the kind of quick and dirty is that I would walk into the office on, you know, Friday afternoon or some or Friday morning with my skis uh, and ready to go skiing for the weekend Friday afternoon, and Clayton would have his kiteboarding gear in across the thing, and I had my um, hangboard, you know, rock climbing training right. equipment in the rafters of the of the building that we worked in, mm-hmm. and so we kind of struck a chord around sports and yeah. outdoor activities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. In fact, when we decided to start the company, we were actually, we met up in Mallorca in Spain yeah. and we're rock climbing for a month uh, while we hashed out kind of the origins yeah. of the company. And he, and he was coming at that time, if I remember correctly, from Eastern right. Europe where he had been trying to meet with developers to create this platform. He, right? Well, he went, you're right. So he had been um, traveling around, traveling around yeah. and... And then I think after that, he went to Budapest. Mm-hmm. Um, right after that trip, went right. to Budapest, and we met. Um, he met our current developer there, actually, at that time. If we haven't said it already, and I know I said it in the lead-in, you know, the company is called Solar Lead Factory, and the name itself is almost as outlandish in some ways <laughs> as as, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, yeah, as yeah. the four-hour work week, right? right? Like it's very in your face right. about about something that 
some people in our industry consider kind of black magic because they don't right. understand it at all. Right. Others consider it unnecessary. Your story presents a side of it that says, hey, look, one of the things that has to happen for us to get to scale in this industry is homeowners and business owners have to be educated before they can make a decision. If we leave that just to one or two installers, they get some biased information because the installer is implicitly trying to sell them something that is that is you know that, that they can deliver. Right. Um, am I am I off base here? No, no. I okay. think that's I think that's accurate. I mean, I would say that. Um, yeah, and I think education is something that the entire industry has struggled with, still struggles uh-huh. with education and kind of just education and message uh, of the industry has been something that the industry has kind of struggled with and changed flavor throughout mm-hmm. the years. Um, and, you know, I think I think there's also a tendency to, to find like fault. This is something that's bothered me since the beginning of uh, my work in renewables when like early on it was uh, solar versus wind, you know, like yeah. the solar and wind yeah. guys used to hate each other because mm-hmm. it was like somehow we were like fighting for the same thing when it was both we should have been lining up and working together. And I think that there's some of that sense with the lead generation space with all with actually with like just between solar companies yeah. now, right? Like even exactly. between utility and commercial and residential, between small residential installers and the big residential mm-hmm. installers, between like all this stuff i mean again not that i'm not the oldest person in the room when it comes to solar but when i started in 2005 you know we were doing probably less in a year than we do in a week right today and part of that is because of the reason why we've grown to scale is a number of things but part of that is just like dog dogged determination to make something happen and a lot of these companies um you know even like even a company like Sungevity, you know, that's no longer uh, active as Sungevity. I'm not right. sure exactly what's going to happen with that. But and Dan Kennedy and those guys, I mean, they played. I mean, even though their company's not here now, they played a huge role in pushing it forward, just in educating people, I think, mm-hmm. and, and creating, creating tools and creating software and yeah. like trying to find a cutting edge. I think also Solar City, it's easy to like sometimes give them a hard time right. um, because they're you know the dominant. Uh, player in the industry in the residential space or they have been uh, for a long time but and in the lease is like something that's bad mouth but I mean I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that part of what's possible today is possible because of scale mm-hmm. and because we've like laid down the work that's yeah. been done before and so the lease at its time was incredibly instrumental for the industry but also for a lot of people that wanted to go solar but couldn't afford to you know do fifty thousand dollars cash payment on something that had a 12-year payback period or whatever and so like I think that there's a lot of things that have bridged the gap and made where we're at today possible I just I I think that people like to kind of pick whatever the winning thing is at the time and I'm totally an advocate for the long tail you can find articles on renewable Mm -hmm. energy world that I wrote in 2011 talking about this and advocating for this and certainly that's the case in Germany, and I believe in it strongly. So I'm not yeah. for one or the other. I think we kind of need everything. Um, yeah. You know, we're recently, we're uh, I know Dan Sugar was just on the show the last week, and recently he just posted something about California hitting 22% right. of our energy from renewables. And that's an incredible testament 
to basically everything that's happened before right. us that didn't happen by accident, yeah. you know. And, you know, when you say long tail, you're referring to... I, long tail, I mean to the smaller installers, to okay. the... Um, just clarifying. Yeah, no, and yeah, I the, think long tail is maybe just kind of... An, I've read the book, I forget who wrote it, but... Tail, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that traditional contractors play a huge role in this industry and will play a huge role in this industry. I'm not sure that roofers are going to all become solar installers, <laughs> yeah, for or example, or electricians. Or HVAC guys, for that matter. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a place for kind of like starting to bridge these things. I think mm. obviously Peterson Dean has done a good job of blending some of the trades, but they've also yeah. been, you know, they're not your typical small installer or whatever, yeah, yeah. or small roofer or small electrician. And not, not without their own growth pain. Have you been curious about utility-scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You guys met in Mallorca. You started this company called Solar Lead Factory, which is a uh, a, a channel for surfacing opportunities and demand for solar that installers aren't able or willing to do on their own uh, in a way that it makes their business more efficient by allowing them to focus on doing what they like to do, which is deploy, in many cases, deploy crews build good systems and service those systems on the long, over the long term. Right. So what makes your product or your approach hmm. uh, with Clayton different from C3 and some of the other guys that were around generating leads? Uh, you know, hmm. the um, what was the company in Sacramento, Solar City bought? The Paramounts of the world that uh, the, and the Vivids of the world, frankly, that do it into, in-house. Right. Um, but you know, I gotta imagine some of those guys are, you know, now spinning out of Vivint and thinking, well, we're good at, we're good at lead generation because that's, you know, apart mm-hmm. from knocking on doors, there's there's some intelligent logic behind what doors to knock on. Right. Where you guys, where do you see a pain point that you guys are trying to address? Well, I think, I mean, there's there's a number of things. I think there's lots of good marketing channels. I would never yeah. say that somebody should only do one thing or the other yeah so i think that um i mean i'll just say that to start out that there's for any business that survives on sales which is every business (laughs) um needs leads that's right whether that's self-generated or whether that's through channels like us or whether that's something else and just to be clear when solar lead factory finds folks who show an indication that they want to that they have that they want to go solar they want to quote from solar and then you sell that sell that information. So I would say, yeah. So I would say that people find us mm-hmm. rather than we're finding them. Sure. So that's, it's that's really fair. so it's really um, kind of demand side mm-hmm. generated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not actively pursuing people, whether that's by door knocking or yeah. phone calls. Sure. So we're basically um, our approach is something that was, um, you know, in part observed during the one block off the grid days, right. which was that, I mean, 
everybody will know, all installers know this, the best deals that they can get are referrals right. from their friends. That's right. The second best deals are people coming to their website, to right. their own website. Yeah. So that's somebody who's sitting at home or doing whatever and says, hey, I'm interested in solar. How can I find somebody mm. to find solar? And then they you know, search on the internet. If they find your website and they fill out your form, that's a great mm -hmm. lead because that person has found you, knows who you are. So this is the area that we're trying to kind of augment or to, to help out in, is mm -hmm. this area of somebody's expressing interest and therefore looking for solar and looking for information. So we have a bunch of you know, informational resources that we generate um, and that we work with our installers as well, our installer partners to kind of collaborate on the information to make sure that we're, we're talking about is accurate in their local, in the local markets. Cause yeah. we know that there's like, not only are there 50 states, but within each of those, there's hundreds of markets when you get down into the local, you know, jurisdictions and the utilities and rate tariffs and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so our approach is really on that native content um, kind of trajectory, which mean, native content just meaning that it's uh, information that's existing natively, let's say organically mm -hmm. on the internet, and then people are, you know, finding that information through Google search or reading articles or just mm -hmm. some some other way of of um, being interested, and then that's and then we have a call to action, which is just you know find out how much your roof is worth of solar, or find yeah. out how much you can save with solar or something like that. Um, and so there's a, I mean, a tremendous amount, I will say that there's a tremendous amount of science that goes into and research and statistics that goes into, you know, both what that message can and should yeah. be, as well as what works. And then yeah. obviously what converts into sales and qualified leads and stuff like that for our, for our partners. Is that science something that Clayton is particularly gifted at? Because I don't perceive, pardon me if I'm right. wrong, I don't perceive that you're spending a lot of your time doing like research and science and statistics. Right. We've known each other a long time. We're both sales guys. We understand the psychology of the sale. Right. And we have a broad network, which is one mm. of the things that makes us valuable in the industry. But have I missed a time where you've like dived into statistics right. and you've become this... Uh, well, my background, as I said, is economics, in econom right. economics. I did my undergraduate thesis on um, uh, comparing to pollution markets and reclaim which was a, a pollution credit trading market in los angeles with the central valley and doing multivariate regression analysis on that to kind of compare wow. to model out like what would happen so that was you know this was back in the day when your computer would freak out with you know hundred thousand rows of data in an excel sheet yeah. um, and running uh you know uh statistical modeling and stuff like that on yeah. that side so my focus isn't on the marketing yeah. side of that, but on the data side, focusing on you know how our partners are, uh, how they're being successful. So I do do a lot of stuff in terms of that, which is you know one of the things that we're recently um, rolling out is a kind of an additional quality level filter. So this is like, cause there's of course, like with any online forms, we get our Mickey Mouses mm -hmm. and anonymous and stuff like that uh, information. And then, so the question is, you know, this information, the leads basically fall along some sort of bell curve of like, right. on one hand you have the ones that are closing on, and on the other side you have the spam, you know? And then, so then what happens in between? And so one of the things that we're doing now is releasing this and in this case, you know, 
for example, I led the, the efforts to model out our hi- historical results with partners mm. based on this new software and creating the spreadsheets to model that and come up with that. So I do, I do get into that, but not on the marketing side of things, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, but certainly in terms of how, because my background, again, as a solar installer, I mean, one of our things is that we're not out there. Um, lead generation is, of course, like in multiple verticals, you know, everything oh, yeah. from like personal payday loans to... Yeah. And very, very debt. professional we, industry. It's a hyper... It's a hyper professional is interesting. I mean, and not all the f- fields are like the cleanest or prettiest or whatever right, right? like yep. personal payday stuff um which you probably should never do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> terrible interest rates uh just you know don't eat out that month if you can make that happen but anyways yeah i think that the trick is to find a solution that works for i mean and this is one of the things that's difficult for installers is that to be able to do to be able to do lead generation scientifically at scale, yeah. you need to have you know volume, and you need to be able to test things out. Yeah. And one of the things that's really tricky for particularly smaller installers is that like, there's no way they can you know just kind of besides can't. they can't like access the bandwidth necessary to think about all the complexities in marketing and yeah, you they know if you're AB getting like and... they can't A/B test they're getting a hundred or two hundred or a thousand visits to their website per month they can't really gain i mean we're seeing millions of page views per month um you know do you have hundreds of thousands multiple sites yeah multiple sites multiple sites and like we're you know involved with a lot of media that's online media regarding solar energy and i think you know in some ways we've helped to to have media outlets see solar as like also a viable kind of like coverage area for yeah. them. I mean, obviously all the websites like Huffington Post and mm-hmm. CNN, and I mean, you see it now, it's getting really clickbaity even with CNN, but I mean, all of these sites are, all sites are trying to figure out how to drive traffic mm-hmm. um, to, to their site. And so one of the things that we've been able to do is help major websites see solar as also a viable way that they can make money which allows for them to report on the issues that are important um i won't ask you for examples because i know that's (laughs) well part of it part of the secret sauce yeah Yeah. but i mean i think that and you know we we chat with our installer partners we try to be incredibly transparent and again having had you know over a, a decade of experience in this industry it's never our intention to do something that's not beneficial to mm. the installer and beneficial to the industry. So we try and, you know, we treat all of our installers with utmost respect and mm. all that kind of stuff. We're always like really clear on what the expectations are in terms of performance and how they can best work the leads and vetting out people that vetting out installation companies or companies that we don't think have, you know, sales processes that are going to work well with the yeah. leads because you really can't, you know, if you're used to like having your your uh, brother's friend call you up and ask you for solar, it's a different sales process than if you're trying to really professionally work up, you know, a funnel of leads mm-hmm. into sales because you have to be quicker to the phone. You have to be more concise and clear with your messaging. You have to educate the consumer rather than just talk about your company you have to understand what their needs are you have to really nurture that customer too yeah how much of this do you have to go through with all of your different installers 
What do you mean? How often do you have to sit there and explain this to them? Well, part of our part of our sales process when we get on the phone with them is to have like the first step is discovery, which is just understanding if this you know if what we offer is something that's interesting to them, and if what they're looking for is something that we offer. Yeah. So that's the first step. The next step is is um, is setting goals mm-hmm. and setting expectations. And so in that process, we explored what the sales process is and. You know, we talk about what is going to be what we think is going to be more or less required from them in order to be successful. And wow. we try and explore what their cost per sale targets are and what their marketing targets are and how stuff many, like that. On, a, on the percentage basis, how many installers do you feel like really understand the metrics behind cost per sale that you're going after? Well, I think when you get into a conversation with them, they can get it. Sure. But I would say that's a great question. I'm not entirely sure. Mm. I would say. We have a sales guy now, John. He's fantastic. He's doing a great job speaking with uh, with all of our installers and managing that. But um, you know, probably like the most successful ones have a clear picture of it. Let's say that. So yeah. like all the ones that have that are like long term customers have a clear picture of what they're going to do. Yeah. Do you find that paid. some installers uh, unwittingly get into the buying leads game uh, w- without? plan and they don't know what to do with the leads when they start coming in naively well they, i think you and i are both entrepreneurs right <laughs> yeah. so we start with a plan yeah we have a plan but reality is often far more difficult than what our plan is right yeah. unexpected twists and turns mm-hmm. so the people that have some people do probably over amplify their own capabilities mm-hmm. misunderstand their own capabilities or have or have this experience that of the brother's friend as their model for how they're going to work leads. Mm -hmm. And it's different when they're like, when it's a, uh, when it's a volume game of trying to, you know, have a process that works across multiple salespeople and multiple markets where you don't always have the individual referrals. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me an example of where you were wrong? An example of where I was wrong? Yeah. Example of how something uh, wrong did. all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it's a, it's a startup. You're wrong yeah. all the time. But what was an example of where you you made you had a hypothesis, you tested it, and you were certain of one thing, and it turned out to be the other. Maybe even it cost you some time mm. in the company, some development dollars to fix mm. the problem. Where's I mean, where's an, an example of yeah something you've punctured, you scraped your knee, and you figured sure. out a new way around it. Yeah, I mean, there's big and small. I mean, I think one of the biggest um, things is that, and this is very common in the industry, and it's something that we've shied away from, and 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 we experimented with it, and this was a bit of a failure. Was um, we uh, within the lead generation space? There's like both lead generation and lead aggregation. Mm-hmm. Lead aggregation is where other people are generating the leads, and you're the conduit into the um, installers. Installers. So you have a network of installers, and then you're sort of buying wholesale leads from others. And right. Okay. So that's a model that exists in the industry, uh-huh. in every lead generation. Because of course, like anything else, there's specialization into specific aspects yep. of a business. Um, so about two years ago, uh, we decided to experiment in that space, and. Um, our MO is to be extremely cautious with everything we do. And, you know, we ramped up with a couple of these other partners and other providers. 
And fortunately, we have our own in-house development team. So we have very detailed reporting when available from our installer partners as to what's happening on a per lead basis. We can slice it and dice it like basically any way you want, time of day, where what lead source it came from, which landing page it came from, all mm -hmm. the other stuff that you're looking at. Um, and there's all stuff that we develop in-house so we can know exactly what's happening. We're not just kind of trying to fit something in fit you know something into another hole and you know we had some success with it mainly financially for the business which can be appealing right. um, but we were seeing that and and we thought that we could build tools to control the quality right. really well and what we saw was that it was just not something that we were interested in participating in yeah. it was just like not providing the results consistently we had some examples where it worked really well and some examples where it worked terribly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, in all of those instances, we basically, you know, cleaned up where it didn't work out and made things work out. But and it was fine. But it, we, that was an area where we thought, OK, there's probably a tremendous amount of opportunity here. And there's obviously companies that are built on that model and they do great. And um, that was an area where we just had to take our lumps and learn it. Hmm. We've had other things too where we've experimented, you know, lost money on various things. The losing money is, I don't know, par for the course, I guess, on experiments at least. Being right. able to experiment and lose money when you're being an entrepreneur. Sure, but it's like going to the craps table. You understand the probability of success. Right. And you understand that you have to put in a certain number of a certain amount to succeed. Right. Um, What's one surprising thing that you've learned about Clayton uh, that you would extrapolate to learning about entrepreneurship? Something that you didn't expect or that you had to adapt to as an entrepreneur? Mm. I mean, I think we I've learned a ton from him. I mm -hmm. presume he's learned some stuff from me as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of part of the, the great opportunity with entrepreneurialism is to really you have to learn a lot and and suffer a lot in your learning <laughs> yeah. to figure out what's you know what's next and what's new um and i think one of the things that he's done that he's really taught me is being internal to the company just being incredibly meticulous with our internal reporting both financial and metrics wise for the company we have some pretty like amazing dashboards that we use mm -hmm. to, to measure everything that we're doing and how it's working. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is that uh, financial responsibility mm -hmm. of the company and just making sure that, you know, in some cases that means that we don't pay ourselves as much as right. maybe we would like to spend every month mm -hmm. or whatever it is, or the company has to like tighten up the, the hatches in certain areas. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been, I think, tremendous. You know, we have, as a result of that, uh, we have the ability to take, to you know, to take on experiments and to have the have the balance or to have our you know assets lined up and to have the cash flow yeah. that we need to take on. You're a lean team as well. I mean, you guys don't have considerable recurring overhead, right? It's not right. So it's not a. Um, I mean, that's one of the. I think that's one of the decisions you guys have made as a as a startup to. Uh, I would say in contrast, for example, with uh, Energy Toolbase, right? Who right. has raised a lot? Of, they've raised money. 
they've built um, you know, probably a more in, a more data uh, intense, perhaps not, but on the surface it would seem like a more data intense and um, and developer uh, slash algorithm intense business model. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I feel like you guys have done a, a great job of keeping the business light right. on the cash. I mean, it's bootstrapped, yeah. self-funded yeah. company, which I think both Clayton and I are previous companies that we worked for had raised venture yeah. capital. And I think there's obviously great ways to do that. And it's a very precarious mm-hmm. uh, position to place yourself in, in many cases. Because if you have if the winds change for, I don't know, long enough mm-hmm. it can get very painful very quickly yeah well is there a logical uh, you know I'm, I'm really exploring within the software space for solar and i kind of see you guys a bit as a software player mm. you've built some proprietary software and certainly some proprietary lead generation methodology mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the things i always tell developers if they don't have proprietary lead generation methodology they're dead what is growth and potentially even exit look like for you guys is that is that not on the radar is it you know something that is very much uh on the radar and something you guys think a lot about how do you mm. characterize this business is lifestyle business for you is i mean the solar industry could very well go to 2030 2040 you'd be in your you know your 40s or 50s by then what uh how does how do you think about the future of mm. this business and the iteration or the evolution of your company right well i think um, first and foremost, the goal is to have the company be, you know, sustainable, mm-hmm. financially sustainable. So I think we started out with a fairly clear sense or a thought that this would be more of a lifestyle thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've grown and kind of begun to really um, embrace all the challenges and opportunities that are in front of us, um, we've I think we've long since past that stage of having it be purely lifestyle yeah um and i think as the solar industry matures you know i think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity like we're seeing and we do every year we do kind of a statistical review of where the leads are coming from and how that relates to population in each state and kind of what the proportional changes are oh wow and um yeah i mean it's amazing to watch all of the kind of not completely new but a lot of states really ramp up yeah you know, recently um in or over the last couple of years i should say in the residential space i mean it's gone from being almost all california to now california is kind of dwindling in the face of all these other states and i think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity as for us and for just all companies really as more and more states and more and more of the u.s population kind of the market opens up for them and so for for residential solar and so i think that there's i mean i don't know i could see being happy here in mm. in 10 to 15 years and and seeing this as a platform to do other things in the space or is this something where you get the chance because of where you sit at the funnel do you get the chance to see around corners to new states as they're coming online yeah i think we've been seeing that for a long time i mean yeah. it's it's unclear so i mean what i guess that you can see, I'm, I'm always curious, like, can you see, for example, based on your platform volume that 
for that Solar City is going to probably pull out of South Carolina, right? Because there just aren't enough leads in that state to sustain right. the, the nece- their necessary like volume requirements. I, I don't know that we have that like that level of insight. Yeah, you know, into into being able to know specifically what's going to happen. Yeah, but certainly we can see where there's. And, and it's so complex, right? Because it's not just consumer demand yeah. that's driving it. Mm-hmm. Like that's one aspect of it, but also the policy that needs to be in place to support that consumer demand, mm-hmm. the infrastructure that needs to be in place to deliver on that demand, all those things. We're only seeing like the consumer interest yeah. portion of it. And at that, it's not like 100% clear picture, right? But that's yeah. where we can kind of see the best. And um, I mean, certainly we could see, you know, for example, that there was a tremendous amount of uh, pent up, let's call it pent up demand in a state like Texas yeah. or Nevada mm-hmm. before Nevada came on and then went off and came back on again. You can see, I mean, we can see that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we can see where it's very likely that a market will develop uh-huh. much easier than I think we can see huh. that a market's well, going evol- to like, fall so, off. So let's run that through to its natural course. You have a platform here of potentially four or five hundred uh, listeners mm-hmm. that could in some way become customers like where right. should where should they be looking where uh, what markets do you see around the mm. corner that where there's a tr- tremendous amount of interest and in you perhaps wish that you had sophisticated or even mildly sophisticated installers to help you uh, process these transactional right. opportunities and I don't and I don't think that the opportunity rests solely on the plate of the installer because as we know like there's so much complexity on the state level Mm -hmm. that oftentimes um you know i think illinois for example is a state where we see a lot of consumer interest and demand and like proportionally so not just because illinois is a populous state with chicago yeah but the policy landscape there to my understanding has been so like stop and go and here and gone kind of a thing that um there's never been an opportunity to capitalize on that. Yeah. Hmm. So there's states like that that I think, you know, where you can't, like no installer barring like sophisticated lobbying and organization right. is going to have an, an impact to be able to, you know, kind of sure. grasp that opportunity. But are you working, for example, with Boat Solar and other organizations to say, hey guys, hey, right. uh, we see this pent up demand in Illinois. What can we do to help? Right. I know Adam Browning pretty well. He's a great guy and... Um, that's a fantastic idea. I mean, we haven't we haven't gotten that far down mm. kind of the exploration of that yeah. where that would make sense for us particularly. But yes, yeah, certainly I think that that's you, you know, get, I mean I think that do you get it, installers calling you saying, "Hey, what state should I be in?" Yeah, we do get those calls. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like, "Well, that's the platinum package." <laughs> right, right. We're like, "Well, <laughs> for 10% equity stake." Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um <laughs> No, I think that, I mean, those are, yeah, again, like, I think we're seeing one part of the, of the stool, yeah. right? And so, I mean, it'd be, it'd be really fun to work with, um, and, you know, I think the other thing that we, work that we could do is, is um, you know, that, that could be interesting or to at least explore or have a conversation about is, you know, let's say that um, an organization like Vote Solar or whatever is, I'm just going to use Illinois again as an example, but... Let's say they're working on a legislation package in Illinois uh-huh. and and say that the market's not quite there yet. Yeah. But we have hundreds of people per month you know, wanting to find out about solar in that state. Right. Could we help kind of 
um, gather the gather army. the army, so to speak, for them, so that there's this the votes or the legislative pressure or whatever oh, is necessary. Now that's a creative idea. Yeah, so that'd be cool. I've, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know exactly how you implement it, but yeah. I think that. Well, I'm sure that you could figure that part out, but if uh, if there's a state like Florida, like right. Illinois, I mean, Florida's Florida, huge Florida, man. Florida right. is like the classic example. Yeah, yeah it's like we've Where I mean, you could then you got companies around. that are 40 years old there too and that are yeah. still one county. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Where you could turn around uh, and sort of reverse the flow of information and say, hey, interested party, uh, we'd like to help you, you know, perfect your dream, but you need to sign this petition for vote solar. Right. Right. So then you become advocacy, an advocacy channel or an advocacy partner in states where there is this, like you said, pent-up demand. That's a really interesting uh, idea. I hadn't thought about that. Now, how much of what you do is applicable to other verticals, not just solar? How easy would it be for you? If solar fell apart tomorrow, God right. forbid, how easy would it be for you to pivot into another vertical? Well, I think it would definitely be possible. I guess like one of the things, and I, and I hope this is clear i know it's clear to you i hope it's clear to the folks listening that i mean i care a lot about solar clayton also cares a lot about solar like we've both been in the industry for a long time we care deeply about what we're doing here and so i think we could theoretically pivot into like uh you know i mean there's leads tons of lead verticals right the question is like Like cannabis you guys could probably easily i'm kidding i'm kidding well (laughs) (laughs) it is a growing market um pun intended um and, but I think that there's, I mean, the question is really just finding something that you're passionate about, right? Mm. And that, not that that should be the only driving force to what you do, but yeah. if you don't have, especially as an entrepreneur starting a company, if you don't have kind of a burning desire to work on that problem mm-hmm. and to figure out that thing, mm-hmm. then, and you don't believe in it at the end of the day, I think that it would be hard for me to keep going you know, to keep, like if I was doing auto insurance loans or something like that, that was my, or auto insurance, not Mm. insurance loans, but auto insurance or auto loans or something like that as the lead vertical. I mean, I wouldn't be interested in that. Yep. Um, And so I think that, you know. So that's not not my question. That's not your question. So, but the question is, could you pivot? So then, I mean, so the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. The question is, would we want to or what would we do? You're smart, guys. I'm certain that you could find other verticals that you are interested in. I'm more right. asking from uh, from Yeah, the technology yep. basis yep. could support lots of different things. Very interesting. Well, Scott, it's long, uh, winding road. We could go well after, you know, well into the evening and, and night here. But how, if someone is listening to this were interested, how would they find you? Uh, I mean, you can check out solarleadfactory.com. You can check yeah. my LinkedIn at uh, it's just Scott G. Muller. Okay. LinkedIn. Or you and your check. email is boss at solarleadfactory.com. Boss at boss.com. Uh, email is scott at solarleadfactory.com. Two T's. Two T's. Yeah. S-C-O-T-T. Got it. Yeah. And you're definitely rocking LinkedIn. Um, we'll, we'll leave on a final thought. Scott, what one thing do you see happening that perhaps no one else is focused on? What's in your crystal ball for 2017? With regards to solar, I think we're at. Uh, I, mean, I don't know this is going to happen in 2017, but 
I think it's, you know, time, the industry, I feel like solar has been long at the kind of side of the table feeding off s- scraps of the power industry. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, I think that we're actually, uh, and again, I don't know if it's going to happen in 2017, but I think it's about time to begin having the conversation of the clear kind of value proposition that we, that the solar industry brings to this country and to the world. Mm-hmm. Um not just environmentally, but also just brass tacks, like getting projects built. Mm-hmm. I think we're leagues ahead of almost everything else that's going on right now in yeah. terms of real-time deployment. And um, I think it's accessible at every single scale from hundreds of megawatts in a single place in the desert yeah. to somebody's two and a half kilowatts, like what's on the roof up, 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 up above us and everything in between. And I think that the value of solar has got to be clearly spoken about and mm-hmm. messaged uh, to everybody. Because I think it's very possible that we're going to be looking at, if we do do this electrification, that we're going to be looking at doubling the amount of power that we need. That's right. And like in, in a fairly short time frame. So the question is, how are we going to do that? And frankly, I think solar is going to be incredibly valuable in that conversation. Yeah. And it's not just about lowering and lowering and lowering the cost, which is fine, which is good. It's gotten us where we need to be and where the cost will continue to lower. But we're going to provide more and more value as more electricity comes online, and we got to have that conversation. we got to be mm. clear about that, that we're a real deal player yeah. at that, and it's going to be incredibly valuable. Yeah, I love it. Well, w- as that takes shape, we will certainly be talking more about it here on Suncast, or as it has become known tonight, Winecast. Winecast. Thanks for, thanks for being on the inaugural, uh, possibly the only wine, <laughs> Winecast. We'll certainly invite you back to, to a future one. And uh, yeah, it's been great digging into these topics with you, man. Love hanging out with you. Yeah, man. Pleasure. I, I love chatting with you too, Nico. So wise about the industry, curious, passionate. Love it. Great, man. Thank you again to all of you who tune in weekly to listen. Stay curious, and we'll see you next week. Well, thanks for sticking with us to the end, Solar Warriors. Don't miss next week, episode 50 celebrating two years of suncast all about how to build your tribe why that's important and why your scene helps you show up in the world don't forget our sponsors today check out bit.ly forward slash buy future to learn more about jason and caroline zooks literally selling their future and go to mysuncast.com forward slash webinar to register for the upcoming lead generation and business growth webinar that we are hosting in conjunction with Solar Lead Factory and Solar Edge. See you next week, Solar Warriors. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.